It's the Cameron Hurley Podcast with your host, Cameron Hurley. I'm show announcer Tim Minichi. Let's throw it to Cameron. I thought that was going to be like some hip kid speak, like bussin'. So let's throw it and then just like leave me hanging. And then throw it where? Like throw, throw it, it like on a like on a local news broadcast. Like they throw it to the throw weather it. guy. Throw it. Now we're going to throw it to the weather guy. I don't watch local news. I'm I part haven't of watched problem. it since the 90s. So I don't <laughs> even actually Do know. they even still do that, Tim? I'm not even know. sure there is local news anymore. I just right? assume it's all AI <laughs> and stories from Twitter. <laughs> TikTok videos. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> how is you? How is the garden this summer? Let's get to the important stuff right at the top. Yeah, the important stuff right at the top is that the garden is amazing. Um, and if Monty Don was here, he would tell me so. I just know it. Uh, no, it's been going really well. I've been... Uh, I have more onions and garlic than I know what to do with, which is perfect. Uh, and I've actually started moving stuff out of, you know, some of the beds. I harvest all the garlic and I planted all my fall crops. So I've got uh, tatsoi, which is a type of spinach and a bunch of other things. Bunch of other things. I can't even, I don't even know what I even planted. Um, but yeah, I got those in too. The corn's getting ready. The tomatoes are going. I started pickling cucumbers and beets. Oh. I'm full hashtag cottage core over here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to so, get your pickle uh, recipe. We have a yeah, bunch of car- our cucumbers I, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I found I I just don't really like cucumbers, but it turns out I really like pickles. So there you go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So let's talk about what's been going on in the Hurleyverse uh, recently. Last month, the uh, short story was Summer Sway. That's available at Patreon. And. What's up in the writing world? What's uh, what's the uh, happenings? Happenings in the writing world. Uh, you know, I'm still clunking away at my book every morning, uh, which is great. Um, but you know, I I actually was running into some issues where I was like, you know, I feel like I've just felt like crap for two years, <laughs> and I kept saying, you know. It's the pandemic. There's a worldwide pandemic. You know, there's this and that and the other thing. I was like, but I'm, you know, I continue to have problems writing. I should probably start to think about like going to the doctor, getting my medication adjusted, thinking about, you know, some self-care stuff. Maybe this is something larger than, you know, the pandemic or something that I can be help treat, you know, a little bit better because we're in the middle of still pandemic and global, global war and all of that of inflation and all of that. So um, so I actually, I put on my big girl pants and yeah, I went to the doctor and we did some adjustments of meds and stuff for all of my various issues. And, um, it was really good that I finally did it right. It's been two years and I kept telling myself, which I think a lot of us do. Oh, I'm just burned out on the writing. Oh, I'm just having trouble because of the pandemic. Oh, I'm just, again, there's a lot of burnout. Um, and so it was one of those things where I just realized, Hey, like maybe I should try and get help, <laughs> which I did before. I mean, I had a big burnout in 2014, I think 2015. And that was actually when I first started anti-anxiety medication. That was when I had, I wrote three books in a year and had two books come out in the same year. And, uh, by the end of that year, I could barely process anything. I was having trouble getting out of bed. Um, I was having anxiety every time I had to get on the phone and do an interview for, um, my day job. Uh, it was, it was incredibly difficult. And I realized like, you know, I don't think 
I felt like I wasn't as bad as I was then, but that's just because I'm not working on three books. <laughs> right. But I'm still doing a lot of things uh, and I'm having trouble, right? And I'm having trouble doing normal things. Um, and so my hope is that that is uh, going to improve uh, my overall outlook on life and also just my writing life. Um, so that's, that's really what I've uh, started to invest a little bit more time in, which I've always do again. And I talk very frankly about that stuff because I don't, I think we talk more, much more about it now because of Gen Z bless their fucking hearts. Um, we talk a lot more about, Oh, therapy and drugs and mental health than certainly we did when, you know, I was coming of age in my twenties in the field where it was just, well, you're not you're not writing, well, suck it up. You know, there's something wrong with you, I guess, you know, you just can't hack it. So, um, so that's been, been key for me is to remind myself that there is help available. <laughs> you just have to manage to get through your own fugue state uh, to go and go and do it. So. I sent you an article from the New York times. It was from last year about the, you mentioned the Gen Z, um, the TikTok creators that are, that burned out very quickly um and i think about how they're only 18 20 21 and they're doing it for a year but they're doing it 24 7 and nobody can keep that schedule really right i mean even as a writer there are or, or any profession any creative profession you can't stay completely engaged in creativity 24 7 you have to have time to recharge and 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 that and you mentioned about them about the embrace of mental health awareness and and that um do you think that the era of like authors writing multiple books in a year or like Stephen King putting out like whatever he does every year like is that it over for the next generations like i find it i find it fewer and far between where people are just completely obsessed with doing one thing i think what ends up happening is the same thing that again that i went through is when you are first getting into a field and you're super into it you are driving toward this uh you're driving toward the brass ring which is usually enough money to quit or to slow down um and unfortunately, the chances of you burning out before that happens are extremely high. Right. Um, so I don't know that that's going to go away. I think it happened again, to your point, again, re after reading that article, it's like, yeah, it happens a lot faster when you are, you know, young and trying to, you know, go, go for the clicks and stuff. But it was very prescient to me. It was very relevant to me um, of my early career, uh, again, where there was a year where I did. I wrote three books in a year. And it literally and it had two books come out and it literally broke me, right? You know, like, ah. Um, so you can only do that for so long. And that was actually the first thing. It was actually something, I think it was Sandra Taylor actually told me that um, at Gen Con at one point. She said, you know, Cameron, um, I, my concern is, I mean, I've seen people have a day job and multiple books come out and they can do that for a few years. And it's amazing, your career is great, but you're not gonna be able to do that forever before you burn out. <laughs> then you're just like well i can do it i'm fine i'm 34 or whatever and i'm gonna tell the world uh but it was it's true you cannot 
produce at that level. I mean, even Stephen King has slowed down, right? Right. Um, from, let's let's be real. During his you know his wild binge days, he was writing a lot more. Um, but you just you physically right can't do it and have a life right and do everything else. I mean, it comes easier if you're a James Patterson or a Stephen King, where everything else is taken care of for you, right? Someone else is buying your groceries. Someone else is cleaning your house. Someone else is telling you when to get up and go to sleep and making your meals. That makes it easier. Um, but if you are just like a normal middle class writer uh, or writing on the side and having day job or having several gigs and stuff, um, you can't do it very long. And it sucks. And it sucks because I think, and this is the thing, if I were to go back and tell my younger self, hey, don't don't go so fast, you're going to burn out. I would say, fuck you, old Cameron. You just can't hack it. <laughs> I'm just going to go do it. And that's why I don't tell young people. I'm just like, I don't tell people or who are first getting into it. I don't tell them. You know, hey, you're going to route because they never listen. You're always going for the brass ring. You think I'm going to hit that, you know, million dollar deal or $250,000 deal um, and everything's going to be great. And I think that what we don't see as creators is, and what we don't, we don't learn is how to deal with the ebbs and flows. Um, Martha Wells is a really good, great example of this. You know, Martha Wells had a really great uh, career in the early 90s, had a lot of stuff. And then she's like, at some point, and she's like, I didn't know when it happened. But like all of a sudden it was hard to get contracts and people weren't as interested. And then you know, she had this long lull period until um, to the Murderbot books. And suddenly, whoa, you know, she's being optioned for TV and it's won all these awards constantly. And she it was so awesome for me to see her. So when I'd read when you know I was a teenager, um, you know, her and Kate Elliott are very much like my I, I aspire to um, have that kind of career where you are just still going. Um, no matter how much it ebbs and flows. And I think that especially younger creators, and I've heard them uh, talk about this, again, this whole idea of if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that's especially worrisome for um, people on these social media where you're relying 100% on social media platforms. If your platform is not growing all the time, you stress about it. And you're like, I'm dying, I'm over, it's over. We can never come back from this. And that's a lie. Like mm -hmm. that is just then there's a natural ebb and flow. No one's going to keep up at X level forever. Um, there is a point where, yeah, you're like, maybe you can, you can reach some, you know, critical mass where you can kind of coast for a little while. Um, but you're always going to have these ebbs and flows in your career that you need to be able to um, anticipate and to say, to tell yourself, Hey, it's okay. It's okay that I'm not doing, you know, four books a year and I didn't make whatever list or, you know, it's, that's Okay there is always the next book. Um, and, but I can see, and I see this happening too with uh, authors who get their first really big deal. Uh, like they get a you know, $250,000 contract or something and they think, oh, this is what it's going to be like forever. And then the trilogy tanks and they're offered 10 grand for their next book. And they're like, what the hell just happened? And I'm like, welcome, <laughs> welcome to real publishing. <laughs> right. How much of the nonstop growth mindset for creators do you think is tied? I don't want to turn this into leftist podcast, but tied to the capitalist mindset of like quarterly results. And like, that's just sort of weaned its or, or wormed its way into every aspect of society where if you are not constantly expanding, constantly growing your brand, constantly adding new followers, constantly expanding into new markets, then you are failing. Like you cannot flat flatten out because flat is failure. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, it's, it's definitely tied into, and, and I get it, um, you know, there's always that capitalist grow, 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 grow mindset. Um, and what I, what I was thinking is, you know, really, uh, it's, it is true. You need about a thousand true fans. Um, if you have a thousand true fans, you can make a, a middle-class living, right? Um, I look at my Patreon, I do very decent. It's almost a thousand people who support me. And this is very well if I didn't have to pay for health insurance and all my drugs and stuff. So, but it's not, that's never enough, right? People are like, this is not enough. Uh, they're like, everybody wants to make six figures and they make six figures. And I'm like, well, I need to make a million dollars. And it's like, well, I need to make $5 million. I need to make, where does it end? And I think that's why you also have to interrogate for yourself. Like what amount is enough? And I actually was thinking about that as far as like my gardening. And I was thinking about getting into you know pottery and all these different things. And then it's like, and, and everyone's like, oh, you should you know, sell this. And, do that. and I just thought, how many more aspects of my life do I want to monetize? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I think we all need to consider is I, I do think there is something important about keeping something for yourself. Um, trying to monetize everything, again, it goes back to that black capitalist hole. <laughs> Just, and it's a, the thing with capitalism is again, it is a great maw and it's never full. And mm-hmm. The more you pour into it, the more it wants from you. You're never going to be satisfied trying to feed that monster. It's a parasite. Fine. Yeah. To me, you need to find, hey, this is what makes me happy. I've got, you know, uh, I'm like, I want to pay off my mortgage, right? That would be great. I want to pay off my mortgage and I want to pay off my credit card debt. And if we can have X amount coming in after that, I'll, that's success. Um, and I think that's really key. Uh, again, if for other people, it's just, you know, keep in mind, like you have your health. How great is that? <laughs> Trust me, it's great because when you don't have it, it really sucks. Uh, and I do think there is that. And we are focused so much on numbers and using that as a sense of self-worth. You know, there was a, a great quote today um, that I saw as a paraphrasing something Reese Witherspoon said, which was that other people's opinions of you are none of your business. And I thought, Wow. Like that is so antithesis to what every single online creator has to think, right? Everyone's opinions matter. How exhausting is that? But in fact, again, as a, as a writer, what everyone will tell you is don't read good reads. Don't, you know, read bad reviews. Reviews are not for you. This stuff is not for you. You know, I can have an opinion about Neil Gaiman. It has nothing to do with Neil Gaiman. He doesn't care. (laughs) Why should he care? You know? And that's, that's what I think about a lot too, is, you know, someone will say, oh, Cameron XYZ. And I'm like, I don't care. Who the fuck are you? Uh, and that's an important place to be. But unfortunately, that social media, that capitalist drive is, is encouraging us to go out there and to elevate all of these people's opinions um, that we should really be staying out of because it's, it doesn't help us create better, I don't think. Right. And, yeah. and an opinion of a work that you create or a criticism is not necessarily criticism of you as a person, but that's what happens with creators is that they take it personally and they see it as an attack and then they get in trouble because some of them respond and then (laughs) all hell breaks loose. I say nothing. I, you know, in my day job, again, uh, we do reputation management for big brands and stuff. And I've had to tell people, shut the fuck up, just shut up. Just don't say anything. It's going to blow over. The news cycle moves, moves fast. 
No one actually cares about you. They just want to fight. So don't give them anything to fight on. Um, and that is, yeah, that's something that I'm always just like, and, and that is it. And I do understand like, Hey, I made this thing. And especially with it, when it's your creative work, then you feel very attached to it. But when I'm doing day job work, like I'm writing a blog post about senior living and it comes back with edits. I don't take that. It's not for me. Right. Why would I take that personally at all? We're trying to write something for someone else. Now I get that when you're writing it for yourself and someone else has a different reaction, that's also fine. I was writing it for myself. Um, and I think we need to get to that place. It's like, yeah, if you, yeah, there's, and there's a difference between a criticism and a response. You know, right. criticism says, okay, I'm engaging with your ideas and I'm saying, okay, I think you didn't hit the mark here. Maybe you were going for this and I don't think it, you know, quite happened that way or, oh yeah, I think, and I, I've run into that too, where, you know, um, I've done, I've done or said something in a, in a work that has a message that I completely did not mean um, but now I'm aware of it and that's great. And I don't need to like jump in on that and freak out about it. I just go, Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm aware of that. And I will correct that going forward. Um, and I wish more of us kind of took that stance of, you know, we're creating work we're putting out into the world. What your job is, is to make it make to clear as clearly as possible, communicate the themes and ideas that you want to communicate. Right. Um, and feel you've done that successfully go you, then screw everybody's opinions. <laughs> yeah, I would say the toughest thing as a, a person who is both a creator and then also reviews books is that you have to be careful about assuming intent. Yeah. That's the thing where I think most people screw up is that they apply what they think the intent was by the creator. Like, oh, this is an anti-capitalist screed, this book. And like, no, I just really like aliens. And the corporation is the bad guy in aliens. And I wanted to do that. Like sometimes it's just as simple as that. I have seen that though. I have talked to writers where I'm like, I'm so certain I know where they're coming from. And this is, and I've taken this deep existential meaning from it. And they are, they're just like, oh, I was just fucking around having a good time with this random idea. I'm like, oh, well, I still feel in my soul, you know, and that's right. okay. You can't, my opinion is my opinion. And my feeling is my feeling and it's not going to be taken away because that wasn't their intent. Um, it's just, that's what I took away from it. And we forget this. And this is something someone told me early in my career that was really important, which is 50% of the writing experience. Yes. Comes from the writer. The other 50% of the, that experience or the reading experience comes from the person who's reading. Um, we put a lot of our own, um, you know, self and feelings and experiences, responses into the reading process. And that's why sometimes something hooks us at a different point in life, right? Right. Than it would have, you know, when we were kids or whatever. So um, I think we need to understand that as readers is that also our reactions to books tell us a lot about ourselves, uh, which we don't talk a lot about as critics, right? Critics always want to be like, oh, I'm objective. Oh, I have this. But I, I try to say, hey, I have certain things that are big turnoffs for me in fiction. This might be a pretty wonderful thing for other people, but here it was, if it hit some of my turnoffs, and that's probably why it doesn't work for me. And I think we should be more honest about that as well. Mm -hmm. I think my greatest lesson as far as misinterpreting or misinterpreting, that's not a word, um, misinterpreting, and I apply this always, is closing time by Semisonic. Everybody thinks it's about closing a bar down. Yeah. It's not. It's about the birth of his child. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Oh my God. I'm, 
I know who I want to take me home. He's talking about his kid taking him home from the from the. Everybody think that's a, about drinking oh, yeah. at a bar and a couple hooking up. It's I not. Would, I would listen to that. I loved it when that song came on. Actually, when I finished my waitressing shift, because it's like, oh yeah, it's it's eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, closing time, na, 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 na. and it was a great song to drive home to. Yeah, <laughs> but again, does not change his um, right. Act, uh, coming up that or um, running up that hill, uh, the Stranger Things song. Um, Never heard it. Never heard it. Never I'm kidding. Heard of it. I'm kidding. It's oh, ubiquitous yeah. now. It's in the grocery store. It's on every but TikTok Kate Bush video. Will tell you, it's about her wanting to swap places with you know a man, so the man could understand what it's right. like to be a woman, and that's was why she wrote it. But it's used in many different ways, right? And in exactly the, the things, it's used it very to a very well effective. <clears> oh. She gets with places with my, you know, dead brother, um, and I, you know, I would take it a different way as well because I listen to it and it's very nice. But it's like, yeah, she when she wrote it, it was not about what a lot of us think it's about, but right. that's okay. I had somebody who said, um, oh, what was it? Some other there, there was some other random song. They're like, I think this is about sex work, and the yeah, the the band was just like, what? <laughs> Yeah, never ask a band or a songwriter what their song is actually about because oh. you will be disappointed. <laughs> also, a lot of times it's it rhymed is is the answer. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> um, speaking of songs and song lyrics, yeah. I have a little game for this. Oh Lord, yep. Um, called uh, from a book or from a cult song. Now, the cult, for those who don't know, and apparently Cameron is among those, I, I did know, yeah. is a band from, the, they started in the 80s. They started as the Southern Death Cult. They're a UK goth rock band in the same vein of like The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, that kind of stuff. And then on their second record, Love, they expanded into more of like just a hard rock band. Mm -hmm. uh, not really in the same vein of like the 80s metal, but a little bit more British. Um, their big single was She Sells Sanctuary. And then they made a hard rock album called Electric, which had uh, a bunch of singles on it. And then they made another album called Sonic Temple, which has Firewoman, which is probably their most well-known song. Um, Ian Asbury, who's one of my favorite songwriters, uh, tends to get into the fantastical with his lyrics. Not in the like Jethro Tull proggy sense, but just in terms of throwing in some fun fantasy sci-fi lyrics. Um, so I started to match them up with different books. I'm going to guess that you have read most of these, but I don't know. Okay. So I have the books. I have all six books and then I have six songs. And you're going to tell me, is it a song lyric by Ian Asbury or is it a book? And I'll hold up the book to mm. have them. So we have That's visual helpful. aids. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> is this song lyrics or a book first quote there'll be two quotes i've watched through his eyes i've listened through his ears and i tell you he's the one that's number one number two i despise all of your lies i am not the prodigal son i am not the chosen one i'm just a man of good intention you said you were gonna hold the book oh afterwards okay. afterwards okay right um here. I, I think that's lyrics. Which one? One or two? Oh, shit. Um, well, the second one's lyrics. The first one might be a book. They're bo one is a, definitely a book. So you say the first one is a book? 
Yeah. Okay, you're correct. Ender's Game. Game, huh? Yeah. And the set, the lyrics are from the Colts song "Coming Down Drug Tug" from their 1994 self-titled album. Mm. All right, number two. You better know this one. Mm. I'm just saying. All right, first I'll get uh, one, and then two. Number one, the stars own our names. Constellations are gone. Defend the magic. Defend the beauty. Second one, not enough time. Not enough material possessions. Not enough luxuries. Not enough anything. Because contentment doesn't sell. Desire does. You like my dramatic readings here? I, li I like the dramatic readings, yeah. Again, um, I think the second one is a book and the first one is lyrics. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> world cassandra Kaw. yeah nice first one is from the song dark energy from the album tooth a hidden city from 2016. Mm -hmm. all right all right all right this might might get a little tougher here number one i am the knife that cuts through your life i have found the path immortalized number two i never found anyone excuse me i never found anybody else and i don't want anybody else I don't care whether you're 90 years old or 30. I can't be your lover. I'll be your nurse. <laughs> the second one's gotta be lyrics and the first one's gotta be a book. Nope. <laughs> the second one is The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. Oh, really? It's been a long time since I've read The Forever War. And the first oh. is from the cult song, The Saint, from their album 2001's Beyond Good and Evil. Okay. All right. All right. I, I'm okay. We're, this is a little tougher now. All right. This is just one sentence. It's getting tougher. I am perfectly capable of causing my own share of trouble. That's number one. Number two, eating the cancer cells from the death machine. One is a book, two is lyrics. Nope. Number oh. one is from the cult song American Gothic. Number two is by An Unkindness of Magicians by Cat Howard. Okay. Hmm. Mm. I, I started strong. I started strong. You hmm. did. These, I told you yeah. they're going to get harder. <laughs> All right. This one This one might might be an easier one, but we'll see. In order to rise from its own ashes... A phoenix first must burn. That's number one. Number two, be a witch, girl. Be a thief, girl. Steal my crown and resurrect me. One is a book, two is lyrics. Nope. Really? Parable of the oh, Sower. Oh, rise shit. From its own ashes. Oh, man. Parable of the Sower is such a great book. Yeah. All right. Last one. This is a little bit of a longer one. Um, on the night of the assassins, they came and I was ready. Do you believe? Oh, yeah. Do you believe? I look around the world and see the winged waifs powdered on petal dust. I can't believe the sorcerer's dream has come and never chosen one of us. That's number one. Number two, there should be a fire that knows your name. And in the presence of strangling fruit, its dark flame shall acquire every part of you. 
God, that's hard. Um, one lyrics to book. Yes. Oh, thank God. Oh, Violation. Violation. Yep. I thought that one might catch you because the winged waves powdered on petal dust does not sound like a, a song lyric. Right. Yeah. And I just kept telling myself, okay, weird gothic band. Um, so yeah, again, whew. yeah, that was a good one. That was tough. I just love the fact that he opens that song with the night of the assassins came and I was ready. Like <laughs> that's a whole, so that's a whole book right there. Now everybody's going to go out and they're going to download the cult. Song. And the song yeah. is called Ashes and Ghosts, which totally sounds like a fantasy novel, right? That would be it out totally right now. It totally does. Yeah, that is totally a fantasy novel title. Yeah. So what, um, I know you've been really into Yellow Jackets amongst oh what you've been God. watching. I do have a question about your watching procedures. Yeah. Because you, you live tweet when you're watching. Do you pause mm -hmm. the show and tweet and then go back to it? Or are you tweeting while you're watching? I'm tweeting while I'm watching. Yeah. So you get those, um, you're quoting the show and, but how are you not missing what's happening next while you're typing on your phone? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why I have watched them all twice. Oh, there you go. <laughs> cause my husband, I tend to watch, I tend to start watching cause I'm usually done with work about four 30, um, four o'clock. And then he's not done with work till like five or a little after five. And so I tend to get started before him anyway. And then sometimes he's got projects to outside. But he loves the show and wants to watch it. And I say, well, it's so good. I will sit and watch it with you a second time. Um, so maybe that's why. Okay. <laughs> but no, I always live tweet. Sometimes I'll go back. Sometimes if I feel like, oh, I missed something super important. But a lot of times shows, you know, aren't, they're not going so fast that you, I feel like I'm missing something. So. Right. Like I the old very the old man you can text during because it's like long oh, yeah. bits of monologue and then yeah and then dog. long stretches of nothing and yeah. nice and there is very, there's very good you know shots and everything it's beautiful oh, yeah. directed but yeah it's, it's just there is a lot of it's like outer range there's another one where yeah just lots of just time so yeah that one's easy um so besides yellow jackets what else are you enjoying on television right now oh my gosh what else am I watching? Uh, Broken Wood Mysteries is back. So I've been watching more of that. You know what I got into, uh, which I, I got out of for a long time was Father Brown. Um, Father Brown's another murder, cozy murder show. Um, and I think I, I was done with Agatha Raisin and um, I was looking for another cozy murder show. And I said, well, I'll give Father Brown another chance because they got rid of the, there was a character who was a writer and also a duchess who was an older lady and she was hilarious and funny. And then they got rid of her and they switched her out with someone. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch it. But I've gotten back into it because like, as we do, we all need some comfort TV. So that one I've been watching a lot. Um, that's like my go-to uh, when I have no brain for anything else. So yeah, that's been a good one. Um, there was something else though. Um, yeah, I know there's some other stuff that again, uh, I should be watching because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, I got, I got to get back to, um, uh, severance. I only got like halfway through severance. So I do need, I do want to finish that one. Um, I got to get back to for all mankind. I yeah. Just, how far did you make it in that? I got a bit like a halfway or partway through season two. And I just, it was starting to get emotional. And again, I, I am having trouble with stuff. Um, I, again, I tend to have a beer when I'm drinking yellow or when I'm watching yellow jackets, because I'm just like, man, this is a lot of, a lot of drama. Um, and yeah, it's like, if I'm watching something cozy, then that's a lot easier to watch. So 
Yeah. What drink accompanies a cozy? Is that more of like a uh, a, a nice mixed drink, or is that a? Uh, yeah, a I mean, it would it would be a nice mixed drink, but I'm off hard liquor, um, so okay. I'm only beer. And I drink what I like to drink, of course, is the nice, um, strong, dark beer, like, like a Guinness um, stout, stout, huh? Like a Guinness. Yeah. Yeah, people immediately think of Guinness, but there's much better beers than Guinness. Well, I'm um, just using it as an example because I don't drink beer. Yeah. So like Founders Breakfast Stout. Um, there's one called Gonzo, which is a really great dark beer. So I drink a lot of dark beers um, and I really enjoy those because it feels like you're eating a meal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I people have talked about this. I was, was having dinner with someone recently. You know, beer it was hugely important in different parts of history because it was yeah. um a meal it, it was, was a meal a lot of, yeah it was a big source of calories great uh, anecdote uh when temperance started and the temperance movement would come into town they would try and get people of course to stop drinking beer people died of malnutrition because they were starving they had to have that extra 500 calories 600 800 calories was keeping them alive <laughs> so the temperance movement was killing people yep Seems about right. Um, what have you been reading? Oh, gosh, what have I been reading? My mom sent me a bunch of domestic thrillers, um, but I haven't really gotten into them. What I'm looking forward to, of course, is on Tuesday. I'm not sure when this comes out, but um, on, so what is that? 16th, 17th, 19th, uh, Sarah Gailey's book comes out. Uh, yep. Just like I'm, I am uh, waiting with bated breath for that one to come in. Oh, you know what I am reading? I'm reading... Um, they who something the dead by T Kingfisher. Um, and it's a really good retelling of, uh, the house of Usher. It's a, it's a very short little Gothic. We who summon the dead, something like that. Um, really short little Gothic. Uh, and it's really good. I'm also of course, wait, speaking of Gothics waiting for leech to come out, but that's not until October still. Um, I read that one. God, it feels like 20 years ago. Um, and that's another Gothic that I think is, is super fun, has really amazing world building. Um, so if people haven't pre-ordered that one, I strongly recommend that one. Okay. Well, let's plug some stuff here for people to visit like your Patreon, where they can <laughs> pick up a short story every month, along with behind the scenes videos, real time writing videos. Uh, you've been posting old writing that you that you I did have. when you were a kid very which, embarrassing old writing well it's embarrassing to you it's embarrassing <laughs> in a different way to other people because we look at it as 40 somethings and go jesus she was a better writer then than we are now so i read yes. it and i cringe i mean i just posted one yeah today and i'm just like how did i think this had a plot how did i there's like six characters and they like go to a bar and they meet some more people and they argue and then it's the end I'm like, what, what even was that? I don't you wrote, even know. It, you wrote that in the nineties? Uh, I think in the nineties. Yeah. Late nineties. Yeah. That's the plot of like every nineties indie film. You just described like <laughs> Kevin Smith the 90s. And, and, <laughs> and, and Quentin Tarantino in the, in the bar <laughs> or in the re or a restaurant with reservoir dogs and, and <laughs> kicking and screaming and like all those nineties films where it's just like disaffected 20 somethings hanging around Ooh. in coffee shops and bars discussing life you know, in very uh, es esoteric ways. Let's get into uh, your other stuff here, like Twitter and Instagram. That's where you go for the social medias. TikTok as well. That's blowing up. 
regularly. Uh, and can't forget Hurley's Heroes, which is Substack. Sign up there to get it delivered every month, usually after we do the podcast. So uh, if you if you didn't catch this the first time, maybe you'll catch it in the in the uh, newsletter. And then CameronHurley.com is where all that is located, and uh, the links are there for you to find. So send oh. them. Oh. Also worth mentioning, because uh, it'll still be July when this posts. Yes. The Light Brigade is a Kindle Daily deal all through the month of July for a buck ninety nine, folks. Yep. Um, so if you want to know, you know, all about the book that was featured on Jeopardy, then go. It's a buck ninety nine. Oh know, God, we didn't that. even talk about that. We so did we, oh, we didn't talk about Jeopardy. Did we talk about Jeopardy last time? No. No, because it happened oh, in between. So. Let's just touch on that for, just for real quick. Um, yep. How surreal is that? Oh, I I still think it's fake. When I saw the clip, it's just <laughs> like it feels unreal. Yeah. So for those who uh, yeah don't know, I uh, I was it was, it was Friday night. I was yeah last month sometime, um, and I was on Twitter again drinking and drunk tweeting shows, and my agent's like. Oh, I just heard that Cameron Hurley's Light Brigade was featured as the answer to a question on Jeopardy. Um, and can anyone confirm? And and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh crap! Said someone send me, send me the link, um, and send me the clip. And sure enough, they sent me the clip. The best part, though, was of course because I think when Tamson Murr's book was featured, the contestant didn't get the answer. But the best part was the contestant got the answer right. I was like, yes. Yes, she is. She knew. You go, girl. Um, <laughs> so that was really cool. And it was. It was super surreal. And of course, on the down low, uh, on just my little team at work, our little content team, I said, oh, so you got to share a personal and professional. And I said, oh, this is really funny. My book was featured on Jeopardy. And then one of my coworkers shares it with the whole company. Carolyn was featured on Jeopardy. So me and all these DMs, you know, I was a writer and I enjoy writing. I'm like, oh, God. Can oh, I send God. you my book? Oh yes, can I send you my book? Can we be writing friends? Um, it, which is, you know, it's just, it's a thing. Um, so it was cute, but um, but yeah, no, it was. It was incredibly surreal. And in fact, I was talking to someone who wanted me to do um, uh, an appearance, and I said, well, I just, I just have to let you know, uh, my my book, The Light Brigade, was featured as the answer to a question on Jeopardy. So it's all downhill from here. I've peaked. <laughs> so <laughs> you you say your oh, rates have gone up. Yes. Jeopardy! As you, you put five. Cameron Hurley as featured on Jeopardy. <laughs> so yeah, that was one of the, it's one of those like career bingos that you don't even ever think about. Um, but it was really surreal. And I knew that book, that book is sold, you know, quite well. Um, but you don't realize, right, how, 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 how deep it's gotten into, you know, pop culture and stuff until, um, you know, you see it. Cause I think there was, there was something where, um, I know it was, you know, nominated for a bunch of awards, but I didn't win. It did win. It did win, um, best foreign novel in Spain. Um, but my agent was like, uh, this book is going to end up being a classic. She's like, it's going to end up being a classic of military SF. She's like, I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but it's one of those books that goes and goes. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it turns out, but yeah, buck 99 featured on Jeopardy. There you go. That's it. Send us home. All right. And with that, everybody, get back to work. <laughs> <laughs>